This podcast is sponsored by Zelle Travel Group. Celebrating 50 years of strong partnerships across the airline industry, Zelle provides interline and reaccommodation services, along with premium travel experiences that take you beyond your destination. Visit Zelle.com. The Dubai-based carrier Emirates reported earnings last week, and you might have expected a tale of woe. The Gulf region has been enduring the crash in the price of oil, and Gulf carriers have continued to add capacity in the face of declining revenues. So, Seth, tell us the bad news. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. In fact, uh, an 11% operating margin for the six months to March and the best fiscal year since 2010. Oh, well, that's pretty good. And I got to say a bit awkward because episode 15 of this podcast back in November was titled End of an Era, and it was a big discussion about Emirates. Well, we did use a question mark. That's true. Does this mean the end of the era question has been answered and the answer is no? Maybe. Well, the nice thing about podcasting is there's always another episode to sort things out. And that's what we'll do today. We'll also talk about Turkish Airlines, who had a really disappointing quarter. We'll check the vital signs of Goal and Air Berlin. And we'll look at how Frontier is keeping up with the rest of the high-flying U.S. carriers. It's all coming up on the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and with me is the hardest working airline analyst in the world, (laughs) Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're starting the show with Emirates, who posted a handsome second half to its fiscal year, 11% operating margin, more than a billion in net profits. Seth, in our previous discussions about Emirates, we've been discussing a new era, one where Emirates isn't as mighty as it once was. Yeah, you know... Six months ago, we were looking at uh, you know declining revenues, uh, the, you know an airline whose whose margins were deteriorating, and uh, you know with all these aircraft on order coming in, you know, big questions about you know whether uh, this increase in supply was merited, uh, considering the demand environment. A demand environment, uh, you know, to be clear, not only impacting them, but you know this is a a global economy that uh, in many parts of the world anyway. Uh, you know, isn't doing too well. You know, global currencies in many places, although Emirates itself, you know, technically in terms of its its, its home country, trades in a in a currency that's pegged to the dollar. Uh, unlike, let's say, U.S. airlines, which uh, you know really get a, a good percentage of the revenues in dollars, Emirates. Uh, gets a lot of its revenues in weaker currencies and selling tickets in countries with weaker currencies, even as its costs fuel, of course, but also uh, you know it's 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 very large aircraft costs, you know, financing and so forth are all in in strong dollars, and and so uh, you know ominous trends, not just in terms of looking at at its own revenues, but just sort of uh, the macro environment. Uh, you know, it was hard to be uh, too optimistic about what it would do about all those incoming aircraft. Were you surprised by their results? And does last week's report end that discussion? Well, impressed. Uh, you know, I, I guess you could say uh, mildly surprised. Um, you know, in the sense that uh, that yeah, things things could have been worse. No, no question. Uh, you know, had had those numbers coming in a bit lower, we would have been uh, surprised by that. Certainly. I mean, look, Emirates is 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 unhedged for fuel, and and fuel costs are are falling, you know, or at least were during uh, the period in question, uh, falling rather dramatically. So 
yeah, I mean, if you tell me, look, an airline's fuel costs are down, uh, you know, 31% for a year, you know, I'm going to be able to tell you that, yeah, uh, you know, they, they, they probably improved their year over year results unless their revenue somehow declined, you know, by, by more than their costs were declining, which, uh, you know, which, which clearly is not what happened. Uh, you know, their, their revenues declined, but their overall costs, uh, driven of course by fuel declined more. And, and so, so they expanded their margins, but in terms of, of ending the discussion, you know, you know, is, is the worst behind them, uh, definitely too premature to say that because Jason, you know, I can tell you one thing right now, obviously right now we've seen fuel costs rising, uh, in recent weeks. Again, remember they're unhedged. So when fuel costs go up, you know, it's pretty simple math. Fuel costs go up for them. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing protecting them. Quite simply, if the revenue environment continues deteriorating as it has been, you know, and, and we're talking about an airline whose revenues, uh, despite all the growth, you know, double digit growth for the year and uh, high single digit, 9% growth for the second half of the year, the revenues fell 4% for the year, 5% for the second half of the year. Uh, Jason, I can tell you this, that if uh, fuel costs stop falling as they've indeed stopped falling and are even rising right now, and if revenues continue falling, uh, you can put it on your calendar. We'll be having a discussion a year from now about uh, how, their, how their margins had slipped year over year, almost certainly. So uh, uh, certainly not out of the woods yet. You do have to give them credit for holding up as well as they have managed to hold up uh, in the face of all the challenges they're facing. Is Emirates' recent bit of a success a good signal for the other Gulf carriers? In other words, is this a regional story or an Emirates story? Generally a bit of both. The other two are even less transparent than Emirates. Uh, you know, Emirates does publish audited financial reports, albeit with, with a lot less detail than you know, certainly publicly traded airlines around the world and even some other some other. Uh, ones that are not traded, but you know, to the extent that you can figure out what's going on at the others, even a little bit tougher for them than it is for uh, for Emirates. You know, Emirates just has more scale and uh, you know at least a larger local market. Dubai not not a huge local market. Obviously, Emirates depends on on connecting traffic, but um, but certainly more local demand. You know, people flying uh, from Dubai and to Dubai, uh, where you're going to get those revenue premiums for the the nonstop flights uh, that you're not going to get uh, to to Abu Dhabi and, and Doha. So, uh, but you know, uh, on the other hand, you know, to 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 a degree, it is a tide that rises and and falls. And you can bet that if Emirates did uh, surprisingly well. Um, then the others, to some degree, would have benefited from the same trends. It's not to say they're profitable; uh, you know, they're, they're probably not. But, uh, but at least, you know, at, at least doing better than uh, than they might have otherwise done. One interesting thing is that Emirates did better in the winter than it did in the summer. That's not how it's been historically. Is it strange that it would change? Yeah, interesting and a good question. Um, you know, look, I. I don't know if if you had asked me you know, without knowing anything else, you know, what, what, you know, which would be the, the stronger half for Emirates. I don't know that I would have a strong conviction, um, you know, because it is an airline that does a lot of business in, in both uh, the northern and, and southern hemispheres. Now, a greater percentage of, of the global pop population is in the northern hemisphere. And, and so, you know, you know, so, so as an industry, the airline industry tends to do better in the uh, in, in the northern summer. But, you know, if you think of, let's say, an airline like oh, Singapore Airlines, you know, located not far from the equator, doing a lot of business in both 
hemispheres. It's not one that has wild seasonal swings in the same way, let's say, that um, European airlines tend to have. And Emirates is one that you would think would be sort of in that same sort of category. You know, as far as why it's it's flipped and how for a couple of years they've had better winters than summers. Um, yeah, hard to say exactly um, because, you know, I mean, if anything, demand from from North America uh, holding up reasonably well. And in fact, that's where a lot of their growth has been to North America. But they've grown also to, uh, you know, in the southern hemisphere and in Australasia, um, you know, where, where they seem to be doing OK in South America, where uh, you, know, you, you can only imagine things are, 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 are somewhat tougher right now. They've grown to, you know, Brazil over the past few years. That's not not great timing, obviously. But yeah, generally speaking, an airline that, uh, you know, that that shouldn't have wild seasonal swings that, you know, and that and that doesn't. But uh, yeah, kind of interesting that uh, just uh, over the past couple of years, it has flipped to where their uh, winters are indeed better than their summers. Emirates has slowed its capacity growth. In the first quarter of its fiscal year, the capacity growth rate was 16%. In the most recent six months, that figure, as you mentioned, Seth, uh, was 9% growth. With the slower growth, will the airline still need all the A380s it has on order? Well, that's been an open question for for a while, is what it's going to do with another you know, 80 A380s or whatever it is it still has, has on order. You know, although it's not out there canceling aircraft orders with the notable exception of, of the a380 order a couple of years back that it got out of um you know it, it has in more quiet ways been adjusting its its capacity plans i'm talking about you know accelerating retirements uh, this is an airline that doesn't hold on to aircraft very long uh, to begin with by global standards and it's already uh you know just sort of accelerating the retirements um you know, getting rid of aircraft at the same time that an airline like Delta, let's say, might first be willing to say hello to a to an aircraft. Now, that that's not a generally speaking a, a terribly efficient way to do things. People who aren't familiar with aircraft finance might think of oh, just you know, uh, you know, buying a car, uh, an automobile, where a lot of its depreciation happens uh, early on. You know, just just you know, when in in the case of a car, when you drive it off the lot. It's kind of the same with aircraft where, you know, they're, they're sort of a lot of their most financially productive years can sort of be their middle years. And, and so, you know, when you're getting rid of aircraft while they're still relatively uh, young, you might end up taking a lot of depreciation, getting rid of an aircraft that still could have done a lot of good for you for a long time. You know, but on the other hand, if, if you're worried about uh, supply getting ahead of demand, then, um, you know, accelerating retirements can be more efficient than flying around too many seats and, uh, you know, and having your yield suffer more than they have to. Yeah. yeah look, it's it's Emirates and its brethren in, in, in the Arabian Gulf certainly have all kinds of aircraft on order, you know, with with these questions about demand um, collectively. Sure. You know, you still you still do have to have to worry. These are questions, obviously, with, with, with big implications for the uh, global airline industry, you know, for the manufacturers of airframes and engines and, and, and all the other suppliers, for, for the competitors of these airlines that uh, perhaps worry even more about a weak Emirates than they do about a strong one. Because uh, don't forget, Jason, that's you know, all of the, the, the fights in, you know, in the U.S., for example, now, you know, earlier in, in Europe about whether Emirates should be allowed to do what it's doing. Under the open skies regime, you know, a lot of that is about, you know, what is this airline going to do with all those aircraft? Uh, you know, are they going to start more Fifth Freedom flights from Europe, like the Milan to New York JFK flight that they have? You know, and if they run out of good ideas about what to do from their Dubai hub with all those aircraft, then uh, then sure, that becomes even even more of a threat. 
Moving on to an Emirates competitor, Turkish Airlines is having a miserable time. The airline had a negative 13% operating margin in Q1. Last year's Q1, by comparison, was negative 3%. First question, how much of the falloff was due to terrorism? Oh, a significant percentage. Um, yeah, so, so 3% to negative 13%, that 10% drop, I, I believe, was was more than just about any other significant airline in the world. Um, you know, You're talking about a period when... Fuel costs fell, um, and, and although Turkish had some wrong-way hedges, so it didn't get the full benefit of the falling fuel prices, um, it did pay less, and uh, still uh, its earnings deteriorated in, in, a, in a very meaningful way. You know, this is an airline that, you know, for, for a while, there was a time when uh, it looked like it was the one sort of better able to sustain the wild growth rates uh, that, that it has vis-a-vis Emirates, let's say. And uh, at the moment now, yeah, Turkish is the one where um, obviously with the with the deteriorating margins, even at a time when Emirates has managed to uh, to improve. But yes, largely because of the fuel prices. But hey, at least it did uh, improve in a meaningful way, whereas, whereas Turkish is, is not able to do that. Yeah, it's terrorism, not only terrorism, but terrorism indeed. Um, even uh, Istanbul is a connecting hub. There are reports of people who who you know, tour groups uh, uh, from from various places who uh, just don't even want to connect there, let alone make Istanbul the kind of destination that it had become uh, for many tourists in recent years. And as you say, it's not just terrorism. They've got rising costs as well. Yeah, labor costs. I mean, some of it's just something that's naturally going to happen uh, in terms of, well, I mentioned earlier, you know, Emirates with its aircraft costs uh, denominated in dollars. Uh, so here's an airline who, uh, you know, not only is it trading in a lot of weak currencies, I mean, its home currency uh, has weakened substantially. You know, the Turkish lira uh, related partly to terrorism, sure, you know, because everything going on in Turkey, you know, the political instability, the rest of it hurts the faith in, 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 in its its currency among global investors. But, um, but you know, part of it is just, yeah, look, look most most developing market uh, currencies have, have uh, broadly speaking, suffered in recent years and, and uh, the Turkish lira being no exception. Um, so that naturally is just going to push the costs up of all kinds of things. You know, like I said, notably aircraft uh, financing costs going to stop them from benefiting as much from falling fuel costs as they otherwise could alongside, as I said, the 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 wrong way hedges. So um, so so that, too, uh, helps explain it when you've got um, you know, revenues under severe pressure and you're not getting the kind of cost benefit that you might hope for in, in, a, in a cheap fuel environment. Add it all up and yeah, you're, you're going to get those deteriorating margins. And there's the rapid growth rate, 19% year over year. Can we say definitively, is that sustainable? Yeah, well, no, not not if uh, demand continues trending the way that it's been trending for them. Look, they have as diversified a, of a global network as any airline quite literally on the planet. I mean, you know, not an exaggeration. We're talking about an airline that flies to more destinations in more countries than any other airline in the world. So so they have the ability to, to reallocate capacity like quite literally no other airline but yeah, you know, it, it's uh, hard to imagine get them getting their hands around the falling yields. Demand continues declining as it has been uh, without doing something about the, uh, the growth. Okay, time to bring the kids into the room because we've got another dun -dun airline 101 question where we talk about the basics of the industry. This week's question goes like this. 
We mentioned in Airline Weekly that one thing driving costs at Turkish this quarter was that the airline concentrated its maintenance work in the off-peak quarter. Seth, what's going on there? Well, yeah, they, they, they realized that, hey, uh, I mean, not that they just learned this and not that other airlines don't know this too, but you know, if you're trying to match capacity with demand, one way you do it is by scheduling your airline more seasonally. You know, that, that's something we've really seen, whereas... Oh, as recently as, as 10, 15 years ago, even less than that for a lot of airlines, you know, the schedule looked very similar all year long, especially among global giants. Um, now they're really all playing this game of, of, of very precisely trying to um, match supply with demand. And so, sure, if, if you're going to be flying less in the winter, well, that's a great time to uh, to schedule maintenance if you're able to time it that way that you're doing your uh, your, your, your particularly your heavy checks, you know, um, that, that are going to take aircraft out of, out of, uh, service for, uh, more than a little while, do it then if you can. And, and so, uh, that's what Turkish has been doing. And so, you know, you might see this, uh, if you're looking at their, their earnings, uh, for, uh, last quarter, you'd see this big spike in maintenance costs might get kind of worried about that. Yeah. It turns out that's just them being, being smart and, and uh, doing the maintenance at a time when you just wouldn't want to fly as many airplanes around anyway. Okay, I got another one. Kids, stay in the room. <laughs> we said in this week's Airline Weekly that Turkish Airlines is the only airline that tried premium economy and it didn't work. Tell me that story. Why didn't premium economy work for Turkish? It's a good question. Uh, you know, and it's one I've, I've thought a lot about. I, I, I guess what I could do, Jason, is tell you a, a couple of things that are at least different about Turkish from some of the other airlines that have tried premium economy and, and by all accounts and appearances uh, done very well with it. I mean, this has been a major global trend. That's it's why it's a question worth, worth asking in, in recent years. Most airlines that have done it are developed world airlines. Most of them have a product that is, you know, although it varies somewhat, uh, operates within a certain range in terms of the seat pitch for example, you know, they all tend to have a seat pitch of oh, 38 inches or, or so uh, you know, versus you know, 32, that kind of thing, 33, 31 for uh, standard economy. Uh, they all have, you know, they're generally wider seats and, and better meal service and all that thing. To be clear, we're talking here about the true premium economy product, not uh, not the the extra legroom products that, uh, you know, that the U.S. carriers, uh, that KLM, airlines like those have. Talking about the premium economy that you would see on Air France, Lufthansa, um, now Singapore Airlines most recently, and many others around the world. So what's different about Turkish? Well, one thing is that they are based in, a, in, a, in an emerging economy, and probably a larger percentage of their traffic base um, is going to be just more price sensitive travelers. Um, to make premium economy work, you need uh, you know you need a fair number of, of uh, corporate customers who um, maybe don't permit all their employees to fly in business class, but are willing to pay something more than uh, just standard economy for a certain amount of comfort. Uh, and then you need a a, um, a a sort of a well healed base of uh, leisure travelers who also are willing to pay significantly more uh, than just the, the, the lowest cost economy fare uh, to travel in greater comfort. And when you're carrying a lot of, you know, migrant workers, for example, um, that's going to be harder. Now, that's not all Turkish carries, of course. It carries all kinds of people. It has a you know very well-regarded business class product and so forth. But yeah, so these are mostly developed world airlines that have uh, that have made it work. The other thing, Jason, is that um, their, their premium economy product is very nice 
in, in any of these surveys that, that ask people about it, it, it's it ranks better than than most others around the world. I, I mentioned before sort of the typical seat pitch. Um, Turkish is has a much more generous pitch than uh, than most others. A lot more legroom and thus a lot more recline. So travelers actually love it. If you ask people who have flown it, they, they you know they think they think it's one of the best kept secrets uh, in the airline industry. Uh, you know in in that in that realm, but. The per- so you say well then then well, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. Um, well the problem is that it well they're not getting compensated for it you know because all they're able to market and you know it, you know let's say in a GDS display is premium economy competing against all the other you know for, for a connecting customer you know somebody going between oh I don't know North America and India or something you know, you're going to just see premium economy on Turkish um, just like you're going to see it on Air France and Lufthansa and BA and you know, all the other airlines that offer it, you know, they have a much more expensive product because it takes up a lot more onboard real estate. Um, they need to get paid more than those airlines are, are, are uh, you know, need to get paid to make their products work. And, um, you know, they're probably just not getting compensated for how nice the product is. So probably just uh, yeah, a combination of not enough demand and uh, over delivering. Would premium economy work for Emirates? Good question. And, uh, you know, there, there are reports that they're interested in it. Look, uh, they would probably uh, face some of those same challenges. You know, Emirates carries uh, caters rather to uh, a lot of different kinds of, of traffic bases. Obviously, some 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 very uh, uh, wealthy travelers willing to spend a lot on on you know rather uh, nice first class product and the rest of it, but also a lot of migrant traffic. They actually have some you know some very densely configured aircraft to carry people between uh, you know uh, between Sri Lanka and then the Arabian Gulf, uh, you know, to, to, to go work there. Um, and, and, I mean, needless to say routes like that, uh, probably wouldn't be the, the, uh, the ideal market, but you know, they have a n- number of different uh, configurations of, of aircraft. And, you know, if they feel like there are enough markets where it could work, um, that they get enough scale. And that's kind of always the question here is, you know, I'm sure there are some market markets where there's uh, sufficient demand, but are there enough of them where, you know, you could you could just scale it up and and where the you know having to develop that product and market that product and everything, we get enough benefit, get to spread it enough among, you know, just, just enough seats out there to sell and bring the economy to where it's worth uh, doing that, to where it's worth having that, assuming they don't roll it out fleet wide, uh, you know, having that complexity. And uh, so forth of you know, managing perhaps another subfleet of aircraft, but um, uh, it would be interesting because uh, yeah, uh, Emirates uh, along with uh, Qatar and, and Etihad certainly uh, notable among global giant airlines for not having it. But again, perhaps not so surprising when you look at uh, where it has worked uh, versus where it uh, either hasn't worked in the case of Turkish or, or just kind of hasn't been tried uh, in the case of a lot of other airlines that cater to uh, a lot of lot of price-sensitive migrant traffic. Okay, let's check in on Goal, who is, of course, in a worrisome situation in Brazil. They had a positive first quarter. They reported an 8% operating margin that was up from 6% last year. But I have a feeling you're not going to tell me Goal is out of the woods just yet. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you that at all. You know, first of all, for what it's worth, first quarter is a peak quarter in Brazil. So, uh, you know, those numbers... If those were your worst quarter, you'd you'd be doing really well. You know, perhaps your best quarter, not doing so well. And and the problem is that because of everything else that's happened, um, you know, this is just a company with a with a bad balance sheet. You know, with all kinds of debt, uh, very expensive interest costs. 
because of, you know, we talked earlier about currency. Well, I mean, nowhere has that story been worse than in Brazil. So again, when you've gone out and, you know, financed all these aircraft, you know, in, in U.S. dollars, um, and uh, here you are earning Brazilian rei in terms of, uh, you know, your, your, your revenues, you know, those leases don't get adjusted because of that. You know, you're, you're, you're stuck making those payments to denominated in, in now a much stronger currency. So, yeah, it's 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 going to take a lot for them to climb out of where they are now. You know, unfortunately, just a few quarters of, of decent operating results are um, are not going to do it alone uh, when your exposure is nearly entirely to, you know, to an economy that's that's just doing uh, awfully. I mean, everything that's happening is is in Brazil is happening also to Latam, for example. But, you know, that's an airline with just much, much broader exposure. Uh, there was a time when Brazilian exposure was, uh, you know, was not a bad thing. But that uh, time, of course, has come and gone. Another troubled airline, Air Berlin, who lost $203 million net in Q1. That works out to a negative 23% margin. It's enough to make you not like math anymore. Yeah. Some people never liked it, but uh, yeah, it, it um, gosh, you know, I, I mean, that, that's an airline very different from Goal in the sense that Goal has has had its moments, uh, you know, in, in, in the sun. Um, uh, you know, an airline with a with a very good reason for existing, uh, you know, and, and you know that, that has long sort of met demand that existed there, and uh, just just operating in an absolutely awful environment. Um, there's not a whole lot you can do about Air Berlin, you know, is an airline that, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been in trouble for a long time. It's operating in an environment where other airlines, you know, despite the challenges, uh, certainly, you know, managed to do fine. Obviously, Lufthansa being its closest competitor in terms of German airlines, you know, is perfectly, uh, perfectly solvent and, uh, you know, if not wildly profitable airlines, certainly a, uh, uh, a, a profitable and sustainable airline. Uh, you know, other low-cost carriers in Europe, you know, EasyJet, Ryanair, Boeing, they all manage fine. So yeah, uh, Air Berlin is has uh, you know rarely done all that well, and and it's it's uh, uh, really in in awful shape. Um, it, it is it is a company that is insolvent. Um, you know, other than for the uh, the injections of capital it has received, um, most importantly from from uh, its its shareholder Etihad. Okay, I don't want to bring the show down, so we'll move to America, where no airline seems to be troubled right now. The numbers are in on Frontier's Q4 for 2015. In that quarter, they had a 10% margin. That was not great, but for the year, it was 17%, which was fairly good compared to the other carriers. Yeah, and just to just to emphasize, as you said, Q4 of 2015, Frontier not being a publicly traded airline, uh, you know, its its earnings emerge much later than the others. Um, it, it, it files its financials with the U.S. DOT, and then eventually those, uh, you know, kind of trickle out and and um, we uh, we digest them, uh, and we've done that, and so. Yeah, so for the fourth quarter, uh, as you said, 10% margin, which put them really at the bottom of the industry. Um, but as you said, 17% for the year, right in the middle of the industry. Uh, it's just a rather seasonal airline. Um, I guess perhaps the most seasonal uh, among the U.S. carriers, uh, come to think of it, at least in terms of its earnings. Um, uh, you know, Allegiant, very seasonal in terms of the way it schedules itself, but it manages to have high margins all the time you know denver is still frontier's most important market and denver is a very seasonal market very well in the summer and very well actually during the first quarter uh which is 
a weak quarter for uh, for a lot of airlines because it's ski season. And so, uh, so you know, Frontier is exposed to all that. Uh, but you know, clearly we're talking about an airline that, that at least on a full year basis uh, seems to still be doing fine. It's a little bit harder to analyze them uh, than it is the other U.S. carriers, because although they are required to file those financials with the government, they file me- merely what is required. Uh, you know, there's no earnings call. There's, you know, uh, just just traffic reports, all the other things that other airlines uh, file. You know, they're not telling you what's happening to their unit costs and unit revenues on a, you know, on a, on a uh, well, in some cases with the unit revenues on a monthly basis with the other airlines, none of that from them uh, yet. Certainly may happen if they uh, if they file for an IPO, but um, but yeah, their their uh, you know their their turnaround appears to be uh, you know progressing well. Although certainly um, you'd like to see a, a strong first quarter uh, to confirm that the the somewhat weak fourth quarter was indeed just a uh, just a seasonal issue and and not something else that's that's uh, that's going on there. All right, we'll wrap with that. One bit of housekeeping before we go. Tracy, who's the social media manager at Airline Weekly, says we should invite people to review us on iTunes. Apparently, it helps the viability of the podcast. So this is me inviting everybody out there to review us on iTunes. We'll be back next week. Jason? Yes? How do they review us on iTunes? I don't really know. I think they they just go and they... Uh, Maybe there's a review button? That's about what I figured. We'll be back next week with another show. Until then, thanks for listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge. 